Trump has been threatening to disqualify D.C. Circuit Court Judge Chutkin in the federal election interference criminal case since day one, calling her a bigot, a racist, a Marxist, a leftist, and as far back as two months ago that she was biased against him based on prior rulings. And now he's gone and done it. He's filed a weak motion to disqualify against Judge Chutkin because he doesn't like her rulings. He doesn't like the fact he's she's sending him to trial quickly, but it, claiming that she has an inherent bias against him. He did the same failed thing with Judge Middlebrooks in Florida, who sanctioned him later over a million dollars, and Judge Mershon in New York, which also failed. These kind of motions go right to the judge herself to consider, and she set a briefing schedule for this week to get right to it. We will discuss whether Trump has even met the threshold test to have Judge Chutkin disqualified and what happens next in the interim. Then it's time to return to the Georgia state criminal case and check in on what's happening there with the 19 co-conspirator defendants. Some want to stay in state court, but go slow and not so speedy. A couple wanted to go really speedy and now have an October trial date. That scared the bejesus out of the rest, and they backed away saying, well, Georgia maybe, but speedy, no way. While another group said, check please, and tried to head for the door marked federal court. Mark Meadows, former chief of staff, was the poster boy for how to not get his case from state to federal court, as the others like Trump watch. And Trump just woke up long enough to file some very short briefs to join some other baseless motions filed by Ken Chespro and Rudy Giuliani. As KFA likes to say, this is really complicated. How will we ever figure it all out? And here is a spoiler alert. We're going to. Uh, now let's move. Speaking of hot mess, let's move down. I can never get to canon without cracking up. So, uh, <laughs> but it stays in the pot. Well, hopefully, um, she is the hot mess you're referring to. No, no. Let me, yeah, let me finish. Let, let me get. Let me get. Let me get real here. Um, speaking of a confusing hot mess, we next update you on the Florida Mar-a-Lago federal criminal case, where after several months, Judge Cannon, who Trump has not moved to disqualify ever finally got around to entering an order to address the use of all confidential national defense information and top secret documents by Trump, his counsel, the other, the other co-defendants in the government, including ruling on whether the government has to build Trump his very own secret reviewing room in Mar-a-Lago rather than just force him like any other defendant to use one in Miami. This is Legal AF with your midweek co-anchors, Michael Popak and Karen Friedman Ignifolo. I'm in New York, Karen's in New York, and our audience is in all 50 states and 138 countries around the globe. We are Legal AF, and you are passionate, Midas Mighty, and Legal AFers. Karen, we could make an entire show out of the stories we're not covering on today's show and that we curated out. But I mean, we could do like an after show or we could do a KFA dark or dark KFA show. Uh, but we got the show in front of us to do and we got our hands full. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. You're kind of giddy today, Popak. You're like... Uh, I'm, I'm, it's a giddy Popak. It's a giddy Popak. I'm good. I'm hoping to get through this episode without any barking dogs. So we'll see if that can happen. It's all right. I didn't get through it without... Uh, uh, doubling over in laughter. So uh, we're, we're, start, we're starting off well. Let's get to some serious matters. 
I mean, I and there and that word serious is doing a heavy lift in that sentence. Donald Trump's motion to disqualify Judge Chutkin. Surprise! He finally, he finally brought it after watching her set a trial for uh, May, telling him that she's not going to treat him like uh, different than any other defendant that's before her. Doesn't care what his day job is. Doesn't care that politics are involved with what he's running for office. And none of that is going to fly in her courtroom. And and so uh, Donald Trump's had enough and he thinks he's got an ability on a standard that requires that a reasonable person <laughs> conclude that the judge is so biased and so prejudiced against Donald Trump that he can't get a fair trial and that she can't be impartial. And the judge that decides that issue is the judge that you're moving to disqualify which is Judge Chutkin, before it goes off to the appellate courts. Um, or not. We'll talk about that as well. First, Karen, why don't you go over, you know, we've given the background. He, he only moves to disqualify judges that he doesn't like and that are, you know, appointed by Democrats or ran on Democratic platforms, not because they've done anything wrong, not because they're biased, not because they should recuse themselves, but just because he wants to attempt to delay, and then he used it as a fundraising grift, as we know. He's lost every time. He tried Middlebrooks down in Florida because he was appointed by Clinton, and he had a case against Hillary Clinton. He tried Mershon because Mershon had an adult daughter that worked in, on, in Democratic lobbying or marketing, um, and, and uh, he donated 50 bucks or whatever it was to Joe Biden. That failed. Uh, and now, of course, we knew he was going to get around to Judge Chutkin. Talk about the standard and if you think he's met it, uh, and then what happens, we'll talk next about what happens to the case in the interim. It's part of the problem with, with this motion for recusal is he's a little bit at this point like the boy who cried wolf. And if you do this every time for every judge, then it becomes eye rolling in, in a sense. And, and if, even if you did have any sort of legitimate claim. It's hard to, with a straight face, really make that argument since this is what you do whenever you just don't like someone. And there is a legal standard for when a judge should recuse themselves and or actually must recuse themselves. Uh, he filed this nine-page recusal motion. It's under uh, 28 United States Code 455A, and it reads, any justice judge or magistrate judge uh, of the United States shall disqualify himself in any proceeding in which his impartiality might be reasonably questioned. Now, there's other sections of recusal that require must when, when you have to recuse yourself, like when you have a financial interest in one of like you own Apple stock and Apple is one of the parties to the lawsuit, you know, that that sort of thing. Or in private practice, you represented one of the parties. You know, there's there's certain law, there's certain things in the statute that say when you must recuse yourself. But here, this is this one is more uh it's a little bit less, it's it's a it's fuzzier essentially. And what what Donald Trump was saying was because look, because you made statements in other cases, Tanya Chutkin, uh, those statements, uh, those show that you are biased. And he said those cases that those statements that she made before this case even began, before uh, Jack Smith was even appointed as a special prosecutor, you know, the, those statements that you made show you have a bias. And even though you may genuinely intend to give a fair trial and you intend to do so and you believe you can do so, these uh 
public statements that you, Judge Chutkin, have made in the past, in these past cases, will inevitably and unavoidably taint these proceedings. Uh, the, the, the standard here that applies is not just that you are biased, but that what 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 he's saying, what he's arguing is when there's even an appearance of bias, an appearance of impropriety, that that's the it doesn't have to be an actual conflict, but an appearance of uh, when there's any when, if you lose faith in the in the justice system, if you think that, you know, if the public can lose faith in the judge, that's when a judge should recuse themselves. And and the two statements in question um, that he cites in his recusal motion is an October 2022 statement. Uh, in the sentencing portion of another uh, defendant. And that reads, this was nothing less, this is the judge speaking, this was nothing less than an attempt to violently overthrow the government, the legally, lawfully, peacefully elected government by individuals who were mad that they lost, that their guy lost. I see the videotapes, I see the footage of the flags and the signs that people were carrying and the hats they were wearing and the garb and the people who mobbed the Capitol were there in fealty and loyalty to one man, not to the constitution of which most people who come before me seem woefully ignorant, not to the ideals of this country and not to the principles of a democracy. It's blind loyalty to one person who, by the way, remains free to this day. So that's one statement that he points to. And the second one was in December of 2021 in yet another case, another sentencing, uh, where she makes many, you know, she, she similarly makes statements to that defendant and, um, and this is a, an individual named Mr. Palmer. And she says, um, and and in in their motions, in their sentencing motions and plea for leniency, um, they say things. This this was a response to what they said, and and she says, Mr. Palmer, you've made a very good point, one that's been made before, that the people who exhorted you and encouraged you and rallied you to go take action and fight have not been charged. That's not this court's position. I don't care. I don't charge anybody. I don't negotiate plea offers. I don't make charging decisions. I sentence people who have pleaded guilty or have been convicted. The issue of who has or has not been charged is not before me. I don't have any influence on that. I have my opinions, but they are not relevant. And so from the defendant's point of view, he says, look, it doesn't matter whether she's actually biased or prejudiced, but it is this appearance, you know, actual bias doesn't matter. It's all about public confidence. And he's asking that she recuse herself when her impartiality might, might reasonably be questioned, might's not a high standard. And, um, you know, but look, what a couple of things that I, I, took from this was number one, she never mentions Trump in any of these. So it's sort of strange in some ways they're conceding that it's him, right? That uh, they're conceding that it's him in, in those, in those motions that he's the guy who, who told them to do all of this. Um, but, you know, look, it's the, the law leaves it up to the judge to decide, you know, after hearing from both sides, uh, whether or not, um, whether or not she should recuse herself. And, you know, case law is, is basically is such, you know, there was a 1994 Supreme Court ruling that said only in the rarest of circumstances should a judge recuse themselves based on opinions formed, uh, you know, on the basis of facts introduced or events occurring in court. The question isn't whether the, you know, what the judge said on the record in other court proceedings, but the fairness in this particular case. So I don't think that, you know, that this is, um, that this is going to be an ultimate issue here because she hasn't said anything in this case. She hasn't ruled in any way in this case that's biased. She never mentioned him by name. These are 
other cases and sentencings, and she was responding to things that the other defendants said. And, you know, also there was a, another Justice Scalia wrote in another uh, decision, recusal can be required if a judge displays a deep-seated favoritism or antagonism that would make fair judgment impossible. Look, you know, there's nothing in about her statements or anything about her that would show she has deep-seated favoritism or antagonism, in my opinion. You know, she has, like anybody else, all judges have opinions, all judges have feelings and thoughts and whatever, but you know, they're judges. They can put those aside and, and be fair and impartial. That's what it means to be a judge. You know, they're not robots. They're not computers, right? They're human beings that have, you know, their own life experiences, but you know, we trust that they can put those aside and call balls and strikes, right? So, you know, judges are expected to form their views after hearing all the evidence and there's no reason Judge Chutkin can't do that. The other thing too is look, more than 1,100 defendants have been prosecuted for the Jan 6 uh, insurrection um, in, in, the, in Washington, DC. And by every judge in Washington has had these cases. And, and if you look at uh, the sentencing minutes of many of these defendants, you'll have many, many, many judges on both sides appointed by Democrats, appointed by Republicans, who've all said similar things. Uh, so I, I don't see this even coming close to rising to the level of requiring recusal or that she would recuse herself. Um, but, you know, like I said, he's the boy who cried wolf. And so I, I don't even think it's an issue. Yeah, I don't think he wins this. I think it'll, it'll fall on the no reasonable person would believe that the statements that she made in sentencing, in responding to the defenses raised by two of those unique Jan 6 defendants that Donald Trump made me do it. I was following Donald Trump. Don't, you know, show leniency in sentencing, um, Your Honor, because uh, we were just following the orders of the commander in coup, the coup in chief. Donald Trump and her making a comment like any other human being would make, which she which she reserved to herself. She said, I have my own opinions about this, but um, <clears throat> I hear you. I hear the fact that, you know, others may may uh, end up before courts, but haven't as of yet. But I got to sentence the person in front of me, not the other people under a theory of whataboutism. And so her responding to that does not, in my view, nor do I think it'll be at the Court of Appeals or the, the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals level to be a requirement that she disqualify herself. She's certainly not going to, on the motion filed, recuse, meaning step aside and say, you got me. You're right. Totally biased against you. Um, what was I thinking? Um, she is going to write after she sees the briefing. She's asked for a very fast briefing on this issue this week by the parties, including something later today. Um, you know, at, at showtime, if we if we get it while we're on, we'll we'll mention it. But um, he's going to lose that, just like he lost Middlebrooks, um, and, uh, and and just like he lost Mershon, he'll try to take an appeal. It's a, a mixed bag in the D.C. Circuit whether a non-final order, which this is, um, is automatically appealable. It's not. It's called an interlocutory appeal, and it's up to the court. Um, some courts find that in a, uh, a, an appeal of a disqualification motion is important. It should be resolved early in a case and not later. Others are like, that's no, not a final judgment. We're not here for that. Sorry. So we'll have to see. You know, he'll, he'll lose uh, my prediction. I don't think you'll disagree with that. If you do, um, raise your hand. <laughs> Let me know you disagree. Uh, and then he'll, um, he'll, he'll file some sort of appeal. In the meantime, nothing. 
case continues. It doesn't divest her of a jurisdiction over the case. He, she can make rulings. I mean, there's some case law that says, eh, maybe you shouldn't make some substantive rulings in the meantime while there's a motion to disqualify pending, but she can. Um, there's nothing right now rule, uh, sitting in front of her. There isn't a motion to dismiss the indictment filed by Donald Trump. She's set the trial date. There's discovery that's going on uh, with exchange of documents or documents provided by the government. And that's, and that's where it is. So got big headlines, kind of interesting, gave us a teachable moment here on Legal AF to talk about motions to disqualify. But I think like all the other motions he's filed, it will fail. Once you want to move on, to Karen, to um, uh, get us down to Georgia? Time to, sure. time to go to Georgia. Um, and so Georgia's interesting because there's a lot going on both federally and civilly. At the end of the day, Judge McAfee, who's like the antithesis of Judge Cannon, although he's got similar credentials, new to the bench, in his 30s, never was a judge before, Federalist Society, but he is running a tight ship here under, you know, very, you'll comment on it, I guess, in comparison to New York, but, you know, state court Georgia is no, is no joke. Uh, the procedural rules, the timelines, the speedy trial requirements. This thing is moving at uh, a very rapid velocity. And that's scaring the crap out of a lot of the defendants who are like, maybe they thought about speedy trial, but not that fast. We don't go to trial in six weeks, which is what Ken Chesbro and Sidney Powell, because they stepped forward and said, speedy trial. And the judge said, sure, fine, October 23rd. And then everybody sort of had to recalibrate around that. You've got a group, for instance, that are, um, just to kind of give the, the scorecard, then I'll turn it over to you. Um, Powell and Chespro, the two former attorneys, are going to trial on the 23rd of October in state court before Judge McAfee and a jury. Um, Trump, Eastman, Still, David Schaefer, Clark, and Chile, as long as they remain in federal court, subject uh, at state court, subject to whatever happens in federal court on some of their efforts, they don't want a speedy trial. They want to slow this down and have a whole nother hearing about when to set a trial. Giuliani is staying apparently in state court, but he wants to sever his from Powell and Chespro because even though he's co-captain of Team Crazy, he doesn't want to be tried with Team Crazy. And that's not how severing works. You don't get to pick your defendants. That's not the basis for a motion to sever, but never stop Rudy Giuliani. For, for acting outrageous in a courtroom. Um, Hall, another one of the co-conspirators, wants to doesn't want any speedy trial, and everything in the indictment related to things outside of Georgia, he would like to not have in his case, even though that's not how a racketeering conspiracy works. You're in for a penny, you're in for a pound. Even if somebody did a bad thing in Arizona and you only did a bad thing in Georgia, if the jury... Uh, finds that there was a RICO conspiracy, conspiracy of which you were a part. Sorry, you're responsible for that. So that's not going to work. Uh, Tre uh, Trevian Kuti, uh, she wants no speedy trial. Okay. Ray Smith wants to, he's, he's helpful. He, he just wants to split the group up into manageable uh, subgroups for trial. Okay, that's probably the most reasonable thing I've heard so far. Um, Mr. Floyd, who was the last one to get out of jail because he didn't have a lawyer and couldn't get his bond condition set, um, he wants to pick who his defendants are going to be. That's not happening. 
Um, and then there's that little subgroup like Mark Meadows leading the way that wants to say, check, please. I'd like to go to federal court because I'm a federal officer or I took instruction from a federal officer. Uh, and already they've hit a buzzsaw because Judge Jones is not agreeing with them on that. And it's now up, at least for Meadows, on an expedited appeal with the 11th Circuit. And we'll talk about some interesting things that have happened in both inside Judge Jones, the federal judge's courthouse and courtroom, and outside. And then I'll give you an idea of, I think they skipped a step in asking somebody for a stay, but I'll, I'll get to that when it, when it comes back to me. That's big picture, Georgia. But Kara, what do you find most interesting about it, including the procedural elements of Georgia law, maybe how it compares to what you're used to in New York so people can get a sense of, is this normal? And, mm -hmm. and we'll, we'll help bring that to them here <laughs> on, this, on this. Is that normal edition of Legal AF? Well, first of all, Trump has signaled, he filed a motion that he may ask or seek removal, but he hasn't yet sought removal. Yeah. So that's weird. That's sort of weird. I and may like, run for president of the United States one day. Okay. I'll file a motion to, to that, but I don't think that's happening either. He's waiting to see what Meadows is going to do and what happens yeah. with Meadows, don't you think? Yeah, 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 completely, yeah. completely. Wait, but did Giuliani ask for a speedy trial? No, he wants to, oh. no, he doesn't ask for a speedy, he wants to sever and he wants to pick who who he's going to be with. So he Strange. doesn't. <laughs> okay, yeah, it's hard to keep track of all of right. these, um, the, the whole thing. But he, you know, so first of all, just there, there's a little bit of a, a I'm a state court person, obviously, because I practiced in, sta in state court for a very long time and really my whole career. And there's, just, you know, in, in the world, there's a little bit of a hierarchy, you know, the federal practitioners, I think, view themselves as, as sort of the elite, you know, federal court, federal AUSAs, federal, you know, the federal bar, the federal, you know, federal courtrooms are just, they're much nicer. They're, they look really, you know, austere and beautiful and regal. And they're just this really, um, this really just uh, incredible, you, you feel this incredible sense of awe when you're there, but it also breeds a little bit of a snobbery, I will say, about um, about the the federal practice and and state court is a little more rough around the edges. You know, it's a little rough and tumble. The there, it's you're you're kind of a scrappy street fighter, and um, and but I love state court. I'd much rather be in state court than federal court. And I guess that's just more my personality. And, and Judge McAfee, I think, is showing that he came up in state court. And because state court judges, state court prosecutors, they're no joke. He, he controlled that courtroom like nobody's business. He knows what he's doing. He, he might only be a baby, baby judge, and he's only been there for a little while. But he really showed that he had command over the facts, over the defendants, over the issues, over the law, and over this case. And so I think he's going to do a great job, uh, potentially. But he's so far what I've seen, I really, really like. And one of the things he's going to have to decide is, you know, Fonnie Willis wants to keep all 19 defendants together. And, you know, there's a few issues with that that I think he picked up on. So number one, the fact that only a couple of them, only two of them uh, have asked for a, their speedy trial that's going to start October 23rd. And on the one hand, she filed a motion asking that uh, they be read, that the judge remind them of all the rights that they're giving up by doing speedy trial, by requesting a speedy trial. By the way, that was denied. Um, but by doing that, she put in writing at least that 
that look these are the, just just so you know defendants by doing this by by going to speedy trial you can't now later claim that you didn't know therefore that you're you are giving up your right to have a certain amount of time with discovery or to have certain witness information in advance, et cetera. And so at least she put that in writing, at least they're on notice. And I thought that was smart, but you can't on the one hand say and signal, look, you know, you have to wait. I want them to waive all these rights and acknowledge that they waive these. But then on the other hand, ask all the other defendants to say, okay, they're not waiving speedy. They're, they're not asking for speedy trial, but I'm going to force them to do this, even though they want to exercise themselves of and avail themselves of the rights afforded to them, uh, the due process rights that they have. So I think the judge was a little skeptical. Like, are you sure you really want to you know, you want to force these other 17. I don't think that's going to happen. So I think at least those 17 are going to be split from the two. Um, and then the question will be, what will he do with those 17? Will he try them all together? Will he wait and see what happens in federal court? And and it's, it's very interesting because the five or so that have sought removal to federal court are, have a right to appeal uh, to the, um, to the appellate courts, which is the 11th Circuit here and, and the Supreme Court, both sides have a right to appeal. And so it, he's going to be hard pressed to proceed on those cases in the middle of this appellate process, because he even acknowledged you can't really enter a judgment of conviction. He says, you know, what's going to happen? You're going to go to trial, have the jury present all your evidence, have the jury deliberate, but I can't enter a judgment of conviction until all this happens. If it's say if they're convicted until the appellate, their appellate remedies have all been exhausted. And what if it turns out that it gets pulled up to federal court, then what? Then what happens to the state court case that we had, you know, that trial? So so I think he, and P.S., there's one other question is, will double jeopardy attach, right? Let's say he goes all the way through to, uh, to verdict, but he doesn't enter the conviction, you know, and then, all, and then all of a sudden it gets removed and they say, you know, will jeopardy attach that you can't so much so that you can't retry that case in federal court, right? That's another question, an open question that I think so, is- Can I ask you a question about double sure. jeopardy and its application there? Do you think double jeopardy applies when it's not, a, you're not being prosecuted under federal claims, similar to state claims, but you're just changing courthouses? You think, yes. you, you think it still does? Yes, yes, absolutely. Okay. Because, mm -hmm. because you can't be prosecuted twice, you know, a state court prosecutor can't prosecute you twice, you mm -hmm. know, twice for the same, you know, if it turns out that it was jurisdictionally defective in state court, and they have to move to federal court, I think it could attach, you know, mm -hmm. but I don't, you know, that's, that's, but I think it's an open question. I don't think it's a no brainer that it won't, you know, I don't think it's, I think it's a risk, in other words. And so, I think that he will either delay. Oh, so then one other issue, by the way, is, is 17 defendants can be unruly. Um, even though there have been some big uh, trials out there, I, I think it's I think there can be an argument that it, that's that violates due process if you have such giant cases because juries can get confused. You know, juries have to evaluate the evidence against each defendant individually. You don't can't you sweep them up into, you know, well, everybody's charged with RICO. So then therefore I'm going to just, you know, I, I, I found that, you know, RICO applies. I like it. So I'm going to convict. No, you, they have to analyze the facts and the law as to each and every defendant. And it can get very confusing. And, and the, that there are some due process issues that have been acknowledged by 
by courts that have said, you know, if a case is too big or too complicated with too many defendants, that, you know, be careful and and you can't get too big. So I yeah. think he's going to break this up. I, I think it's going to probably be three trials. I think you're going to have the the speedy trial group, you're going to have the removal group, and then you're going to have the, the rest potentially. But I think it's going to get broken up. Yeah, I agree with you. I think from a practitioner standpoint, the way that you avoid the appellate issue is you put on your general RICO case, but then you have certain days reserved for each of the 17. So this is the Rudy Giuliani day, and this is the Donald Trump day, and this is the, and the jury is focused for that day and the little mini trial that you've created. And then you can, you can point in the appellate record to, well, the jury shouldn't have been confused because I had two full days of doing nothing but, but fill in the blank, Jenna Ellis, or, you know, QT or, or David Schaefer or whomever. And, but I agree with you. I think the one defendant who was like, just split it up properly, actually hit on intentionally or accidentally hit on the right approach here. It's the same thing that happened when the group of co-defendants, co-conspirators was a little bit too unruly, uh, no pun intended, in the Proud Boys and the Oath Keepers, and the judges there split it up. Judge Meta said, uh, I'm, my courtroom's not big enough for this, so I'm going to split this up in nine and eight and seven and six and different combinations um, to accommodate it. And, and, and they were like two months apart, and the government went to trial on both those cases. I think you're going to see a similar thing here, and that's okay too. As long as Donald Trump's in the first or the second group so that there's a shot at this going before the November election, I think will be, you know, when the others go, frankly, is less of a concern to me. The only person that's really keeping people up at night and they want to see tried before uh, November, whether by Jack Smith or Fawny Willis, is Trump. So let's get Trump into that into that first group. We're going to talk about federal court, Mark Meadows, his attempt to get a positive ruling out of Judge Jones twice and failing what the 11th Circuit's doing all, all about that. And then, of course, we're going to turn down to Florida and talk about that hot mess that is the Mar-a-Lago case and the way Judge Cannon is handling it. But first, a word from our sponsor. Did you know that your temperature at night can have one of the greatest impacts on your sleep quality? If you wake up too hot or too cold, I highly recommend you check out Miracle Made's bedsheets. Inspired by NASA, Miracle Made uses silver infused fabrics and makes temperature regulating bedding so you can sleep at the perfect temperature all night long. Using silver infused fabrics originally inspired by NASA, Miracle Made sheets are thermoregulating and designed to keep you at the perfect temperature all night long. So you get better sleep every night. These sheets are infused with silver that prevent up to 99.7% of bacterial growth, leaving them to stay cleaner and fresher three times longer than other sheets. No more gross odors. Miracle sheets are luxuriously comfortable without the high price tag of other luxury brands and feel as nice, if not nicer, than bed sheets used by some five-star hotels. Stop sleeping on bacteria. Bacteria can clog your pores, causing breakouts and acne. Sleep clean with Miracle. Go to trymiracle.com slash legal AF to try Miracle made sheets today. And whether you're buying them for yourself or as a gift for a loved one, if you order today, you can save over 40%. And if you use our promo legal AF at checkout, you'll get three free towels and save an extra 20%. Miracle is so confident in their product, it's back with a 30-day money-back guarantee. And if you're not 100% satisfied, 
satisfied, you'll get a full refund. Upgrade your sleep with Miracle Made. Go to trymiracle.com slash legalaf and use the code legalaf to claim your free three-piece towel set and save over 40%. Again, that's trymiracle.com slash legalaf to treat yourself. Thank you, Miracle Made, for sponsoring this episode. Have you heard of senescent cells, also known as zombie cells? These old, worn-out cells no longer serve a useful function for our health, wasting our energy and nutritional resources. These zombie cells tend to accumulate in our bodies as we age, leading to the aches, slow workout recoveries, and sluggish mental and physical energy associated with that middle-age feeling. Our sponsor, Neurohacker, packs seven of the most science-backed senolytic ingredients into one formula called Qualia Senolytic, and you can take it just two days a month for fast, noticeable benefits and a much better aging process. Senolytic ingredients are science-backed to support our body's natural elimination of zombie cells. My body and energy levels feel about 15 years younger after just a couple of months of adding Qualia Senolytic to my diet. I love how easy it is to take. Having more physical and mental energy for my family and friends is such a win in how I show up for those I love. My productivity has doubled. I feel invigorated and enthusiastic again with the daily drive and enthusiasm to get things done. The formula is non-GMO, vegan, gluten-free, and the ingredients are meant to complement one another, factoring in the combined effect of all ingredients together. It's also backed by a 100-day money-back guarantee, so you have almost three months to try Qualia at no financial risk and decide for yourself. If you're in your late 20s or older, adding Qualia Senolytic to your diet can play a crucial role in combating negative aging symptoms. Go to neurohacker.com legal for up to 50% off Qualia Senolytic. And as a listener of Legal AF, use code legal at checkout for an extra 15% off your first purchase. That's neurohacker.com legal to try Qualia Senolytic with code legal and start aging on your terms. See, now, if we led with the neurohacker and then the miracle made, it would have explained how enthusiastic I was and energetic in the miracle made ad because I had used neurohacker. But <laughs> returning to our substance of our podcast, including our, our uh, indefatigable uh, producer, Salty, who found for us as we were recording a new decision that just popped out or a new filing by Fonnie Willis, I should say, about the very thing we're about to talk about, which is whether Mark Meadows is going to be able to get his removal to take his case, a state prosecution from state over to federal court as a federal officer. Now, let me tease it then then. And if Karen, you had time to read during my, my ad reads, good. I did, I did read it. <laughs> I'm glad we don't have to do the ad reads live. We had the little, we had the commercials. Um, and, and, and frankly, I'll tease that. It's about what you and I and Ben and I had said she was going to do. You were a little worried that she was, we did a hot take on this, that she was going, that Fawny was going to be like, well, I already admitted he was a federal officer. That may be. But the question that the 11th Circuit posed in in their uh, by through their clerk, because we don't really know who the panel is that's that's taking up the appeal by Mark Meadows. It's like, hey, we're going to we're going to have an expedited hearing about whether this removal should have happened or whether Judge Jones was right or not. But there's something that's bothering us about the, the removal statute and its application in this case. And everybody leaned forward and said, what is it? And the clerk said, this is the issue we want briefed in advance of this 
anonymous panel that will not be anonymous as soon as we get the briefing schedule out um, and hear, hear oral argument. If there is oral argument, because they've suggested that perhaps they're not even going to do oral argument on it, they'll do it on the papers. The question they had is, hey, when you read the removal statute, it says a federal officer has the right to do it. That implies present tense. Mark Meadows is not a present tense federal officer. He's a former federal officer, having been the chief of staff for Donald Trump back in the day. Does he get a removal right as a former federal officer? And we said on our hot take that although you were slightly concerned about her, Fonnie Wells having conceded that he was a federal officer, we said, well, look, if you look at the text of the two provisions that the 11th Circuit seemed to be concerned about, there's a good argument that it means present tense, not past tense, when you compare and contrast the two, the two provisions that the panel asked us to compare and contrast. That's exactly that textual analysis is exactly where Fawny Willis, you know, she's, she's no dummy. She's the opposite. She's, a, she's really, really smart. And she said, okay, I got a way to frame this for whatever panel I'm going to get on, on the 11th Circuit, because you're right. If you look at all the cases, and it's that one thing that you and I talked about on our hot take just recently, which is what is the federal purpose behind the removal? And it, and it is at core to prevent a state from interfering with a federal office or function. But that is not what's going on in this alleged case in the indictment. It's not a federal officer whose, whose duties are being interfered with by the state. It's a state election process that's being interfered with by the feds. And so the public policy or federal preemption or federal policy that's, that's embedded within the statute isn't present with, especially in the form of a former officer who's claiming that something he did in the past is somehow now being criminalized. That's where she went in her briefing. You've got it up. I know you'll do a little bit more. Last, last point to kind of tie it into your, your commentary is how do we get here? Remember, for those that are new to the show, I would say remember as if you're following every hot take and every episode of our show. Why aren't you, by the way, if you're not? But if you're not, <laughs> let me just, I'll bring, we like these to be standalone episodes, although they are cumulative as well. Meadows tried to assert that he was a federal officer, at least at the time, and that he had the right under the federal officer removal statute to take his case and have it tried somewhere else. He gets the prosecutor, Fawdy Willis. He gets the Georgia law, the Georgia indictment. It's not a federal case in that sense. It's not a federal uh, federal indictment for the purposes of a future presidential pardon. It just gets tried in a different courthouse, presided over by a federal judge under the federal rules of civil uh, federal rules of criminal procedure. Okay, he tried. He failed. The judge found that under no circumstances had he met any of the tests, or at least the, 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 main, the main test is that he was performing federal functions, his job description as a federal officer, uh, which is at the heart of the indictment. The judge says, no, I looked at the heart of the indictment. I looked at the outer boundaries of your responsibilities, which you, Mr. Meadows, could not even tell me what they were. So I don't even credit anything that you told me when you testified. I had to figure it out myself by looking at the Hatch Act which gave me the outer boundaries, which means if you're a federal officer and you're getting paid to do your job, you're not supposed to be campaigning or doing things for in favor of a campaign or a presidential or any kind of candidate. And that's what you did. Out of the seven things you're alleged to have done, which are at the heart of the indictment, you know, or eight things, seven of them, 
are, are you're, do, you're working for candidate Trump, not doing your chief of staff duties. So he then ruled, sorry, bye-bye. Meadows then says, um, and this is where I think he got it wrong. I want to hear your opinion. He files a couple of motions immediately, Meadows, his lawyers, George Terwilliger, to um, stop or block the issue with the judge, uh, the federal judge. In other words, I want to stay in federal court. Don't let me, I don't even want to be remanded back to state court. Let's enjoin block or stay the order of the uh, federal judge while it's up on appeal. So he filed with the, he asked the, the 11th Circuit while they're looking at the substance of his brief, the substance of his appeal, the merits of his appeal. He wants, he wanted a stay, like an emergency stay, which the 11th Circuit as of right now is not granted. He asked the federal judge to do the same thing. Don't send me back to state court. Bad things could happen. A trial could happen in October with me. I don't want that to happen. And the judge evaluated that and, and reached the conclusion, Karen, that you can talk about. The, the weird thing is, is where he didn't file a motion for stay. If I had an issue with federal court and I'm trying to get there and I'm trying to get the appellate version of federal court to rule in my favor, but I'm sitting in state court, I would also file a motion with Judge McAfee and say to Judge McAfee, hey, Judge McAfee, I'm Mark Meadows. I'm next door across the street in the Northern District of Georgia federal court, and I'd like to stay there. I've got an appeal you might have heard about. In the meantime, you're making all sorts of decisions down here. Can you just stay the case against me while I litigate and, the, um, and do my appellate process over there? And he didn't do that. And so things are just moving along in the meat grinder that is Georgia and Judge McAfee while the federal court uh, does its thing. I don't think the 11th Circuit is going to issue a stay because they're doing an expedited briefing, fast briefing schedule on the merits of the appeal instead. Where do you think we are with all this? And what do you think it means also for the other three or four people, including Donald Trump, who are thinking, hmm, maybe I'll try the, the uh, federal removal two-step and see if that works? I don't love that Fonnie Willis just said it doesn't, that this removal doesn't apply to former federal officers for a couple of reasons. Prosecutors don't get to make mistakes. You don't get to, on the one hand, say in her filing to Judge Jones, uh, you know, with the three elements for removal, you have to be a federal officer, you have to have been performing within your the scope of your job, and you have to have a federal defense. You know, Judge Jones says, look, you know, the state concedes, number one, that, that, the, that the federal officer applies to you. And then to turn around now and say, oops, I didn't mean it. It actually doesn't apply to former, to former um, agent, you know, federal employees, because you're former, you're not current. So, you know, it prosecutors just can't make mistakes. You you have the burden to prove your case beyond a reasonable doubt. And you're supposed to be the smartest person in the room. If you make a mistake in front of a judge, if you argue the wrong law, they will not necessarily trust you the next time. They're going to look and say, are you really sure? Because you said this, but you weren't correct when you when you change your mind. And, and she, so she should be sure, 100% sure, if she did change her position, that that is the correct law. And I'm not sure we know because the law, she, what she did was she argued the, stat, the plain language of the statute, the statutory construction, 
leaves do, doesn't say former it just says current you know or just says in federal employees which implies current federal employees and that that in other areas of that same statute it talks about uh when when the congress intended to to cover former federal employees that it they know how to say that and since they didn't say it here therefore it must not apply and so i think that I don't really understand why the 11th Circuit asked for briefing on this issue. Perhaps there's another case that they're considering where this issue came up, and, and so it's an issue they're already considering. Maybe it's something they thought of on their own. Whatever it is, uh, to take that position, I would think that she would want to she would want to be sure. Um, but in in any event, you know, look, I think there are cases of former law enforcement, federal law enforcement, who um, they might be able to point to that it counts, uh, that it counts for, but let's see what they rule. And hopefully she is right. And hopefully she is 100% sure. And that's why she changed. Well, but I just don't like when a prosecutor yeah. makes a mistake. We've got a new filing by Meadows where he is basically told the court, because I think it was simultaneous filing, so a little unusual. So nobody gets an advantage. He argued there ha there isn't a case that discusses this issue for 140 years of jurisprudence, and that and he thinks um, he's right that it has to apply to former federal officers as well because like who would take the job if they didn't have the ability I guess in his view to when sued for something they did back when they were a federal officer. I have a motorcycle outside my recording that's very excited um, about removal apparently. Um, that if like like they need to they need to have the ability to have that kind of protection for things they did while they were federal officers because look there is a revolving door between government and private sector and so his argument I presume is some version of um, it doesn't say it doesn't apply even though it's sort of written in the past tense he differentiates the textual reading and points to the fact that there's no case that's ever been decided, including a recent one involving Donald Trump. They want to cite a case. They can cite the case of um, the, out of your office um, about Stormy Daniels, where Judge Hellerstein just in May or so ruled that Donald Trump had the ability to seek federal removal under the removal statute as a former federal officer, but um, failed because you know, uh, covering up a, an affair with your mistress is not part of your presidential duties. So, you know, we're, it, this is this is why, you know, we're trying to catch these things as they happen, analyze them, look at them, analyze them in real time. We'll continue to follow it um, and uh, see what happens with Mark Meadows, who has now an expedited uh, ability to argue the merits of his case in front of a merits panel of the 11th Circuit. I don't think they need to stay anything because, frankly, there's nothing coming up in Judge McAfee's courtroom. He's one of 17. And um, if he wants to be heard from about scheduling, he can be. But they're not. He's waived or he will waive his speedy trial. He, he's not going to be set for trial in October. And so nothing's burning down the house over in Fulton County that requires the 11th Circuit to move any quicker than they're moving. And they'll move and we'll get a we'll get a decision in the month of September about whether Mark Meadows a, whether fe uh, federal officers who used to be federal officers get to use the statute under 11th Circuit precedent, and two, whether Mark Meadows has the, the qualifications to to bring his case over to federal court. That'll be a September event. Let's uh, be, uh, let's um, we're going to move on to Florida. Talk about the classified document. It's hard to believe it took Judge Cannon this long to enter her classified uh, protective order 
and procedures rulings. You know, you watched Judge Chutkin. She kind of addressed these things summarily about six weeks ago, five weeks ago, and we're just getting around. You know, it's just foot dragging by the judge. She eventually gets around to sort of the right decision. But, you know, she's going to look at the clock and say, oh, look, oh, who? look at the time. We're not going to be able to have that trial in uh, March the way I thought we were. Um, uh, because, you know, it took me so much time to figure out basic issues like how a grand jury works or whether a person can have his own private place to review confidential and top secret documents. But we'll talk about that after a word from our sponsor. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Do you ever find that just as you're trying to fall asleep, your brain suddenly won't stop talking? Do your thoughts start racing right before bed or at other inopportune moments? As a practicing lawyer, I know my mind is always racing, whether it's work-related or family-related. I've personally benefited from years of therapy because it allows me to discuss my feelings of uneasiness or stress factors and find ways to cope in a healthy and productive way. It's helpful for learning positive coping skills, how to set boundaries, it empowers you to be the best version of yourself. And it just isn't for those who've experienced major trauma, it's literally for everyone. Whether you're dealing with decisions around career, relationships, or anything else, therapy can help you stay connected to what you really want and really help you while you navigate life so you can move forward with confidence, excitement, and just feeling good. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, so you can do it from anywhere at a time that's convenient for you. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your individual schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire and get matched with a licensed therapist. You can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Get a break from your thoughts with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash LegalAF today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp.com slash LegalAF. Uh, welcome back, everybody. We're going to talk about Florida and Judge Cannon's recent decisions. I'll say one thing about Yusil Tavares, and then I'll turn it over to you, Karen, about the skiff, love saying that word, and the confidential documents and what Judge Cannon is doing and why it's taking her so long to do it and how it impacts everybody, including the maintenance worker who wasn't even charged with anything related to classified documents. He was charged with trying to destroy a server containing video of video surveillance of people moving boxes around. Um, in in contravention of court orders, federal judge orders, National Archive, Department of Justice, and FBI. So Yusil Tavares, we've been talking about a lot on Legal AF. Uh, when the uh, superseding indictment came out, the first thing, because Ben and I had it first for the weekend edition of Legal AF, the first thing we said was, oh, we got, a pan we got our first pancake. Somebody's flipped. Yusil Tavares, even though he wasn't named in there, everything in the second indictment, um, in the section related to the conspiracy to try to delete, drown, burn, hang, stab the server containing the uh, video, surveillance video uh, um, footage, that looked like Yusil Tavares. And we said at that time, oh, well, I know one thing, Yusil Tavares has flipped. And we suspected that he was cooperating with the government. We subsequently got the details of it, and we're getting more of the details of it in a way that I am now suspicious in a good way, that the reason that the government and Jack Smith has brought the Garcia process forward to get to the bottom of conflicts of interest among Stan Woodward, the lawyer representing Nauta, the other co-defendant, and used to represent Yusil Tavares, is just to air in front of the judge and to the world all of these 
um, all of these issues about what bad things Stan Woodward did when he was representing Yusil Tavares. What we already have learned is that Yusil Tavares testified in March to a grand jury in the District of Columbia. He testified um, and committed perjury by telling the grand jury that he couldn't remember, couldn't recall any conversations with Walt Nauda and Carlos de Oliveira, uh, the maintenance worker, about um, whether to delete the server at the request of the boss, Donald Trump. The Department of Justice had conflicting testimony and other evidence that indicated that he was lying. Um, but while he was with Stan Woodward, he wouldn't concede to that, wouldn't flip on Donald Trump until um, they then filed the initial indictment for Mar-a-Lago, which got Yasil Tavares nervous. And then they sent him a target letter and said, you're the target of a criminal investigation, including about lying to a grand jury in the District of Columbia. He then had a hearing in the District of Columbia with presided over by Chief Judge Boesberg, who said, Mm, you may need your own independent counsel here, i.e. not one bought and paid for by Donald Trump. So why did I get you the first public defender, the first chief public defender, for the District of Columbia, and you speak to that person and then tell me what you'd like to do here? And he came back and said, I'd like to do two things. I'd like to fire my lawyer, Stan Woodward, and I'd like to um, recant my testimony before the grand jury. So we knew that he was cooperating. But Stan Woodward, in a recent filing as part of this Garcia process, named after a case down in the 11th Circuit, said that Yusil Tavares is now cooperating with the government, which is just a confirmation that we've always known, which is bad news for Donald Trump, that the IT worker is cooperating with the government, um, even though Walt Nauda could have had the same deal. Um, he was represented by Stan Woodward. They met with Stan Woodward to get, they wanted Nauda to be the first pancake, the first flipper. And he refused. He's just going to go down with this ship with Donald Trump. So they wanted either Carlos de Oliveira or Yusil Tavares, and they got Yusil Tavares as soon as they ripped him away from lawyers being paid for by Donald Trump. That's Yusil Tavares. But today's rulings, after secret confidential sealed hearings, it's quite interesting on confidential records. What did you make of it, Karen? Yeah, she, Judge Cannon uh, did what she's supposed to do, which is, you know, set up procedures for on how to deal with classified information. And, you know, so she, on the one hand, you know, you want to say, oh, she's doing the right thing. She's, you know, really um, not letting Donald Trump just take his documents home uh, to Mar-a-Lago and use them wherever he wants. And, you know, but, but I, and, and she sets out a very detailed, uh, a very detailed ruling where she puts out, you know, that pursuant to the Classified Information Procedures Act and, you know, various rules in order to protect national security, the government's motion is granted and the protect the protective order is entered. And, you know, the court finds that this case involves, you know, classified information. And she talks about the purpose of, of the protective order to protect, you know, this classified information and t tells the defendant Trump that he can be, um, that if he violates this, he could be prosecuted. It applies to all the documents, anything that could be classified, whether it's a document, whether it's communications, whether it's information, a recording, metadata, it could be anything. She gives very exhaustive detailed list of like what this 
uh, considers and and what this what this applies to and and that you can only disclose you know it's like need to know if necessary in order to pre prepare for your defense with the defense team and she also designated a CISO or a CISO stands for classified information security officer uh, which is the going to be the person who's like the referee or the person in charge who has to designate the um, the the skiffs you know the secured um, the the I forgot I always forget what it stands for the skiff um, um, but it's the secure uh, room essentially that you know that you can't bring electronics you know in unless it's approved by the CISO and and you know you can't record anything, you can take notes, but you have to leave everything in there. And, you know, she even puts in there, look, you know, the CISO is going to be in the skiff with you and you're looking through your stuff, but that doesn't waive the attorney client privilege. I mean, she goes into this whole, you know, this whole detailed, how the procedure is going to work, how everything's going to go. And on the one hand, you know, some, some people might say, oh, well, look, she's being fair. She's doing the right thing. She granted a, a government motion. And to me, it's a little bit of a, a Trojan horse is how I would call it, because she had no choice but to grant this. I mean, this is our nation's most sensitive uh, secret information and the Classified Information Procedures Act lays out exactly, uh, exactly what she has to do. And so she did what the statute required her to do. And the reason I say it's a Trojan horse is, you know, these small little rulings, these ministerial rulings, they're important, obviously, because, you know, we don't want, you know, Russia to get our nuclear codes. So, so they're important, but they're not real big wins for the prosecution because this is something she kind of had to do. And, you know, I, I just think she's, she's giving the government the things she has to give because she has her eye on the ultimate prize, right? She was appointed by Donald Trump and the ultimate prize, you know, is whether or not you win or lose this case. And so, so let's just, you know, not go crazy here with the, okay, she ruled for the government. Um, I, I'm still a little bit concerned about whether or not she is, uh, whether or not, you know, she is going to be fair and impartial. And, and I say that based on what she did in this case, you know, in, before there was a case, you know, when there was just an investigation and she inserted herself into a place where, where she's, where the law doesn't allow her to. And, you know, she appointed a, a special master, you know, during the investigation process. And, and frankly, the 11th circuit shot her down and said, you know, you, you don't basically said you, you, that was inappropriate and you can't do that. And so I still am a little bit concerned about her impartiality here. Um, but it is what it is. And, and at least she's following the law the way she's supposed to here. And it doesn't look like Mar-a-Lago, like, like Donald Trump is going to get to use Mar-a-Lago as a skiff unless the CISO designates it as such. Yeah. And our producer put up a little in the chat there. It's sensitive compartmented information facility. I, we'll I, you know it. what? I've, I know this. Why can't you remember I, that? <laughs> one of, it's one of those, you know, do you ever have things like that, that like, yes. just, you have a mental block and no matter what, you can oh, never I, remember? Oh, they, they're going to have to make a drinking game out of how, how many times I say civil RICO instead of criminal RICO, because I primarily practice on the civil side and we use civil RICO, which is a version of RICO in the civil courts more than criminal. So no, I, I get it. I can <laughs> producer just wrote, I had to Google it. Yes, that's where we get a lot I of wanna, our information. I 
I want to call it a secured classified information facility. Don't you think that yes. sounds better than sensitive compartmented information facility? And because I want to call it that, because I think that's a better name for it, uh, I can't in my brain, it just won't, <laughs> it won't register that it's really the other. The problem is not your brain and it's not registering. The problem is it's not registering with Judge Cannon's brain, which is which is why it's taking her months to do what should take weeks. And if you're right that there is a hidden agenda here, we're seeing it play out and how slowly she's making. She's getting to the right decision, but it's like the old Abbott and Costello routine, you know, slowly she turned. It's like, you see Chuckin's like, okay, we got a trial in May. I got work to do. What's in front of me? Bop, bop, bop. This one's like, well, this is interesting. I really haven't thought about it. Why don't we do briefing and oral argument and hearing after hearing, and then I'll maybe I'll get to the right decision. And even then, just to reinforce the comment I'm making here, even after she made the decision, if we go on the docket now, she wants further briefing about another issue that was already discussed in the oral hearing in front of her. You know, so we're we're now moving into the world. I mean, we you and I joke about you know, that old adage, which is that perfection is the enemy of the good enough. And with this, with this person, anything she gets a wild hair about, she sends the lawyers off to brief in front of her. And then there's always that opportunity for her to screw it up. And, you know, and, and as Ben has said in his, in his hot takes um, on the Midas Touch Network and, in, 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 uh, I think on the Brothers podcast, you know, he's just, he thinks that, that, <laughs> that Jack Smith has just got his finger just twitching over the trigger to like get to the 11th circuit to try to get rid of her. But he's being very patient because, you know, she eventually gets to an okay decision that he can live with. But, you know, we have the broader picture here, which you and I have, have said on prior podcasts, which is, yes, he cares about Mar-a-Lago, but it's a stalking horse. You know, it's pressurized. He has opened a front in the battle against Donald Trump that may not be his ultimate objective. His ultimate objective is up with Judge Chutkin in D.C. in getting that case and a future amended superseding indictment in that case, which I'd be shocked if it doesn't come out. We haven't talked about it yet here, but there is reporting, and I did a hot take on it. Yep, it's up. I'm trying to think if my hot take went up yesterday about the grand jury is back. This is like, I, I joke about it being the walking undead for Donald Trump like the zombie chasing Trump at slow motion, but eventually we'll catch him. The grand jury's back for for, for uh, Jack Smith. It's been back in session, session since last Thursday. And the reporting out there is that it's looking at two streams of analysis or two streams of presentation to the grand jury about fundraising. One is um, fundraising done by people like Sidney Powell to raise money to use to hire consultants to break into election equipment and election computers in seven battleground states, including Georgia, where we know it happened. It's in her indictment, Phony Willis's indictment. And, and the fact that they used donor money um, fraudulently to then commit a, a crime, which is cybercrime breaking in and downloading voter data, uh, that's, mm -hmm. that's, that's a bad thing. That could be wire fraud uh, in the uh, prosecutor's arsenal. And the second fundraising element that the grand jury apparently is looking at, which we thought they were going to put into the last indictment, but it got left on the cutting room floor for now, is Trump, Save America PAC and MAGA PAC using money to influence witnesses, interfere with uh, uh, the, the, the pursuit of justice, obstruct justice, 
because they're hiring lawyers like Stan Woodward, bought and paid for by PACs, who aren't letting their clients tell the truth. And, and, and the Department of Justice has a couple of examples of that. Cassidy Hutchinson, who in the Jan 6 committee uh, was told by a Trump lawyer, this is her testimony, Trump paid for a lawyer for her defense. Why don't you not remember certain of those facts? She, even though she was a young, she a young professional, was like, I don't want to do that. And she hired Jody Hunt. And suddenly she cut a deal with the Jan 6 committee. She's cooperating with Phony Willis. She's cooperating with Jack Smith now telling the truth. And we just saw it with Yusil Tavares, who we spent some time on the show um, uh, doing that uh, doing that with. So we've got the um, grand jury. And the reason a grand jury is back is either they spit out nothing, they spit out a new indictment standalone I doubt, or they spit out a superseding amended indictment against Donald Trump, adding perhaps some other people, even though we're already in September and we're 14 months away from election day. Um, Karen, you have any comments about the grand jury and its new work? I mean, it'll be interesting to see, you know, whether or not he supersedes that indictment or whether he brings different indictments. I, I suspect he's not going to supersede that indictment, that he wants to keep it one defendant, four charges, streamlined so that it will go and that we might see other indictments come. I think, you know, the the six unindicted co-conspirators, if they don't flip, I think uh, potentially we could see them get indicted um, separately. And I think the the streams that you just talked about, also these other charges could be brought in separate indictments. But I, I think strategically it would be a mistake to supersede this particular January 6th indictment because that'll just slow the whole thing down. If, if really what, you know, the, the big strategy here is, is that we know is Trump just doesn't ever want to go to trial on any of these cases. It's not that he wants to go to trial and prove his innocence. It's not that he wants to, you know, get a resolution. He just doesn't ever want a trial. And Jack Smith does want a trial. And and so so if that's what the goal is, is to get a trial, I, I hope, uh, I don't think strategically he'll supersede that very, as you call it, always call it a surgical uh, mm. indictment. So so we'll see. I agree. I think you're right. You've always said that the better of the two indictments for the purposes of getting justice and getting a verdict before an election for people to make the decision about whether I still want to vote for the guy, even though he got convicted or not, at least that, at least you have that data point in front of you to make, to make your, it's hard for me to believe that people would still say that, but there are people we know that would vote for Donald Trump. You know, even if he died, they're going to vote for Donald Trump um, as well. And you, you've always said that that is the, the way he did it. One defendant named Donald Trump, four counts, four conspiracy counts and everybody else, um, a uh, co-conspirator unnamed as of yet is the way to go. And he can bring as many effing indictments as he as he wants to bring, but we'll continue to follow him in one place on Legal AF. If this is your first time watching our show on the Midas Touch YouTube channel, um, a couple of ways that if you like us, give us a thumbs up here, helps with the ratings, leave a comment, we'll chat back with you, and then um, you can help the Midas Touch network itself by being a free subscriber. Hit the subscribe button. It helps. They're trying to get to 2 million because that will make the network even more powerful and the content even more voluminous than it all, than it already is. And you could be the 2 millionth uh, subscriber. And Karen Freeman-Ignifolo was already offered on a hot take to give somebody a t-shirt that turns out to be the 2 millionth subscriber. If you come here regularly, 
welcome back. We're really happy. All I to got have is this dumb. I, I'm the two million subscriber, and all I got is this dumb T-shirt. <laughs> yeah, something like that. Uh, <laughs> well, believe me, we'll have a we'll have a big celebration if that happens. <laughs> if you're if you're here on a regular basis, we appreciate you. We try to make each episode sort of standalone, so that if you're new to the show. Um, it is, uh, it, it, you can get facts and information, not smoke and sunshine from people that sort of know what they're doing in terms of analysis and hopefully does it also in an entertaining way. Um, and it's also cumulative. If you're here for a while, then, you know, we're on our, I don't know if you add it up, it's like 350th episode since we started legal AF that doesn't include hot takes for that. You got to add another, I don't know, 1500, that's our body of work so far. And it's, so it's, it's, it's episodic in that this episode can stand by itself and hopefully get watched in the future. And somebody will say, hey, they were right or they were wrong. And it's also cumulative in the sense that as a serial, in that it, it, it builds on itself in concepts that we talk about here on the show, we have talked about in the past. And it, you'll, you'll find that you're actually, as some people have said, I feel like I'm in law school. I'm I'm, I'm learning something, and that's one of our goals as well. If you want to help the network, help the show, one way free subscribe. Listen to us as well. Even if you're watching us, go in, and you don't even have to download it. Just listen. Click listen. Click subscribe, follow, whatever it is on audio platforms for the podcast, Google, Spotify, Apple, and the rest. We've got merchandise, and we're doing much better in selling the merchandise now that Karen Friedman Ignifilo took over. Um, and so I think we've like, like, I don't, I don't know what the version of 10 times we've 10 times our sales because things, people like the way these t-shirts look, you can mix and match colors with, we have four different logos. It's really great. And you can go to, there they are right now. Thank you, Salty. You can go to store.midastouch.com. We got a new website that's for all things Midas Touch, midastouch.com. You can find amazing original legal writing and analysis by people like Karen Friedman Ignifilo, she's got one up right now about what she would do if she was cross-examining Donald Trump, which I found to be fascinating, um, as well as all of our audio and video uh, content is there. So it's one-stop shopping on the MidasTouch.com website. And you can follow Karen Friedman Ignifilo at her social media handle. What's your handle? At KFA Legal. At KFA Legal. And I'm at MS Popak. Until the next midweek edition with Karen and me, and this Saturday's edition with Ben Micellis and me. This is Michael Popak, Karen Freeman Agniflo, giving you the last word. I think we got something special. Karen, what you got? <laughs> you, you know, you, you, you said earlier, um, we should have a trial because people should uh, have the information before they vote. You know, they should know, is he convicted or not? But then there are some people who will vote for him no matter what, even if he's convicted. And one of those people is Marjorie Taylor Greene, who has said, I will vote for him no matter what. And there was a picture today uh, that came out that I saw that just shows just how close the two of them are. You look at that and you look and see she's, you know, this is, it almost looks flirty to me between them. And it just goes to show how close they are. And that no matter what that woman will vote for him, uh, it doesn't matter what he does. It doesn't matter that he's been adjudicated a rapist. It doesn't matter that he could be convicted of, of these, these very serious crimes. She will, you know, she and others like her will, will you know, stick by him no matter what, you know, it's like he's their Lord and Savior, you know, Donald Trump. And it's, 
it's just, you know, I, I, I bring it up and I say it because, you know, it's so head scratching for so many of us, you know, that anyone could vote for him, especially given what the allegations are. But we can't ever get too comfortable or too um, righteous or too complacent. There are these people who who treat him like he is, you know, the, the second coming of, of God because uh, they will they will follow him no matter mm. what. And so we have to keep doing what we're doing and getting information out there because the stakes couldn't be higher. Shout out to the Midas Mighty and the Legal AFers. We'll see you next week on Legal AF. Legal AF.